Christ's name. Amen. Let me invite you to stand and turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 28. Isaiah 28. And if you're visiting with us, we've been in a series on Isaiah, and we actually started way back in August. And so you might feel a little bit like you're coming in on a conversation that's already happening, but not to worry. Um, this isn't my first rodeo, and so I'll help you uh, through it. But what we're doing now, because Isaiah is so long, we're picking certain passages of Scripture to go through. And this is a very typical passage in Isaiah, Isaiah 28. And I'm going to read to you verses 14 through 29. It's a pronouncement of judgment on Ephraim and Jerusalem. So Ephraim is the northern kingdom of Israel. At the time, the nation of Israel had split into north and south. So you have the northern kingdom of Israel called Ephraim. You have the southern kingdom referred to as Jerusalem or Judah. And God addresses both of them. And characteristic in Isaiah, you're going to hear, this is what you're going to hear from this passage. What's wrong? What God will do and is doing about it. And then you will see reflected the very character of God and his supernatural power. So that's what you typically see in these judgment passages. So I'll begin reading God's word, Isaiah 28, beginning in verse 14. I'll read through the end of the chapter. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers who rule this people in Jerusalem, because you have said, we have made a covenant with death and with Sheol, we have an agreement. When the overwhelming whip passes through, it will not come to us, for we have made lies our refuge and in falsehood we have taken shelter. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am the one who is laid as a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste, and I will make justice the line and righteousness the plumb line, and hail will sweep away the refuge of lies, and waters will overwhelm the shelter. Then your covenant with death will be annulled, and your agreement with Sheol will not stand." When the overwhelming scourge passes through, you will be beaten down by it. As often as it passes through, it will take you. For morning by morning, it will pass through by day and by night. And it will be sheer terror to understand the message. For the bed is too short to stretch oneself on and the covering too narrow to wrap oneself in. For the Lord will rise up. As on Mount Perizim, as in the valley of Gibeon, he will be roused to do his deeds. Strange is his deed, and to work his work. Alien is his work. Now therefore do not scoff, lest your hands, lest your bonds be made strong. For I have heard a decree of destruction from the Lord God of hosts against the whole land. Give ear. And hear my voice, give attention and hear my speech. Does he who plows for sowing plow continually? Does he continually open and harrow his ground? When he has leveled its surface, does he not scatter dill, sow cumin, and put in wheat in rows and barley in its proper place, and emmer as the border? For he is rightly instructed. His God teaches him. Dill is not threshed. 
with a threshing sledge, nor is a cartwheel rolled over cumin, but dill is beaten out with a stick, and cumin with a rod. Does one crush grain for bread? No, he does not thresh it forever when he drives his cartwheel over it. With his horses, he does not crush it. This also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that your spirit would work among us, that we together as your people might know the meaning of this passage, the truth in it, and that you would lead us and guide us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know if you've seen this, but there is a velocity, a speed at which human knowledge is growing, and it is getting faster and faster. And because of technology, in point of fact, the rate that human knowledge doubles is increasing. And that's one of the reasons why we may feel frustrated or hurried, in point of fact, because this technology is driving on the sum total of what human beings know. And so back in 1900, human knowledge, the sum total of human knowledge doubled about once every 100 years. So you think about print material and everything that was being done. So once every 100 years. Then, fast forward to 1945, human knowledge was doubling once every 40, let's see, once every 25 years. And let's fast forward again to 2013, so a decade ago, human knowledge was doubling every year. So once a year, the volume of what we know doubled. And then now, 2023, believe it or not, they say that knowledge is doubling once every 12 months. And it's not slowing down. Once every 12 months. Now, the real question you have is, if knowledge is doubling, why are people so ignorant? <laughs> I have that question too. But if you think about, think about all the information that is out there, Ecclesiastes tells us my favorite verse for my doctoral studies To the making of many books, there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Our students understand that as they get a break uh, from school. But books are coming out all the time. Knowledge is doubling. It's increasing. And we all have gained a skill to deal with this deluge of information that is so great we can't take it all in. It's the skill of tuning out. We tune out. There's something about our mind that if we don't use the information, we forget it. The old hard drive in our noggin clears out the space when we're not using the information. So that's one way we tune out. Another way we tune out is we just pay attention to only that which is relevant. Only that we deem relevant, we pay attention to, and we tune into. Now, this skill of tuning out, which a few of you are practicing right now, (laughs) the skill of tuning out is hard to turn off because you might be overwhelmed at the information that's coming at you, 
But you might not know that with the things of God, we've got to tune in. We've got to tune in to what's happening in this passage. So the dynamics of tuning in, tuning in to what God has said, cutting through the noise and the clutter of everything going on in our world, cutting through all that, that we might be encouraged and that we might grow in our faith. So the question really before us is, are we going to tune in? Or are we going to tune out? And we see in this passage of scripture, not an easy one, by the way, we see really the characteristics in the way we ought to tune out. We see what happens or we ought to tune in. I'm just seeing if you're tuning out or tuning in. So we see the characteristics of tuning in. We see the characteristics of what happens when we tune out and the consequences of that. And we learn something, really, of the character of God in this passage. So I'm going to start with the first two verses, verses 14 and 15 in Isaiah 28. As we talk about tuning in and tuning out and what, what we're going to do and what God's people did then, the first thing you see is that scoffers are going to scoff. And this is seen in verses 14 and 15. You see that it's addressed to, this passage is addressed to you scoffers. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers. Now, scoffers are the opposite of those who fear the Lord. Remember, fearing the Lord is not being afraid of him. Fearing the Lord is a key Old Testament principle that has to do with giving God the reverence and the respect that are due to him alone because he is great, because he is transcendent, because he is eternal, because he is all-powerful, because he is all-knowing. We fear the Lord. We live life reverencing him, worshiping him, obedient to what he has said. A scoffer is the opposite. A scoffer disrespects God, ignores God, is apathetic towards God, and that, in point of fact, is what's going on uh, because God has said what's going to happen. The nation of Assyria is rising up, and they're going to take over and conquer the northern kingdom of Israel. They're going to threaten the southern kingdom, but God will supernaturally deliver them. And so, they are scoffing because God has said what's going to happen, that they should repent, and they are not listening. They are ignoring what God has said, so they are scoffing. And he, there's the citation here in verse 15 of this is exactly, here's the evidence that they're the scoffers. And you see, scoffing is linked to the rulers in Jerusalem, so the leadership is faulty there because the leadership doesn't lead in a life-giving way that points people to the fear of the Lord, but instead is scoffing. And so verse 15 is really the proof. And the people have said, we've made a covenant with death and with Sheol we have an agreement. When the overwhelming whip passes through, that's God's judgment, through Assyria, it will not come to us. And so what's being communicated here, what they're saying, is that even though God has declared this is what's going to happen, we're the exception. It's not going to happen to us. When the overwhelming whip passes through, it won't come to us. And there's a little 
ancient Middle Eastern Isaiah humor here in, at the end of verse 15. Why, why can they withstand God's judgment? Look at the end of verse 15. We have made lies our refuge, and, fault, and in falsehood we have taken shelter. Well, what good is that? The whole remedy for how they're going to avoid the judgment of God is called out as a lie and falsehood. Instead of taking refuge in God, instead of making God their shelter, their one who can defend them, what do they do? They make lies their refuge, falsehood their shelter. Now that was happening then, but you know, it happens in our own day too. Anytime people believe something that is not true, we can take shelter in those lies and in that falsehood. And this looks like being asked in June to celebrate something that God has forbidden, a way of life that God has designed, marriages to be between one man and one woman, and scoffers ignore that. Scoffers ask others to celebrate not following God's design. Now, that's easy to kind of call out and say, well, that's an example of scoffing in our own day. But at the same time, we might take refuge in lies or falsehood anytime we trust in something else rather than God. Some of us trust in either our bank account balance or our fund balance, and we look at those numbers and we say, ah, I'm secure. I'm taken care of, and we can trust in those numbers rather than in God. And so not only can we trust in lies and refuge by, take refuge in falsehood by doing that, but sometimes think about if we trust in politics. Oh, if we just keep the right person in office or get a new one in office, then everything's going to be good. That's trusting in a lie. That's taking shelter in a falsehood. Uh, spoiler warning, 2024 election is just going to be like the other elections that have happened before. People get their hopes up, and then they get their hopes dashed eventually. It eventually catches up. So my encouragement to you is rather than trusting in money, rather than taking shelter thinking, oh, this time's going to be different. Yeah, no, it's not going to be different. Instead of trusting in politics to do only what God can do, change hearts, transform lives, let's not, as God's people, do what God's people did then. They made lies their refuge. They took shelter in falsehood. If you turn back to Isaiah chapter 7, there's this great verse, Isaiah 7. It's a... <clears throat> A phrase in Isaiah 7, 9 that rings true today. Isaiah 7, 9, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Well, what does that mean? How can we understand that? Well, what that means, that's the opposite of scoffing, is to be firm in the faith. And what's being said to us here in Isaiah uh, chapter 7, verse 9, is that if there is any compromise in the system of doctrine that the Bible presents to us as true, all of it hangs together, all of it falls together. 
if we don't understand the truth of God's word. Male and female, he created them. And that he instituted marriage to be between one man and one woman. If you're not firm in the faith, you won't be firm at all. Any compromise, trusting in money, trusting in politics to do only what God can do. Whatever thing we would trust in besides God himself, his providence, that is falsehood. That is a lie. You can think of it this way. Some of you wear reading glasses, and sometimes, invariably, you forget your glasses. You go somewhere, and you forget your glasses. And, you know, what I see some people do who forget their glasses, you know, there are, they, they kind of, well, if I, just, if I just hold it or sort of see it from this angle, and I squint in just the right way, I'm able to clearly Uh, see what's going on. And my encouragement to you is to clearly see what's going on in this world is not to listen to the scoffers, but to put on the glasses, as it were, of God's truth and to trust what he has said, his interpretation of the universe, and to put those glasses on so that you might see clearly and might not be distracted by all the scoffing that you see around us, that we might have compassion and love for those who are misguided or believe a different way than we believe, and to put these glasses on to see God's truth clearly. So we see here in verses 14 and 15, one of the responses, people, scoffers, they're going to scoff. They're going to disrespect God. They're going to compromise doctrine. And if you compromise any doctrine, you compromise all of it. And what's our response? What are we supposed to do? Well, believers are going to believe. And what do I mean by that? Look at God's response here in verse 16. You've got the scoffers out there. They've made lies our refuge, falsehood. They've taken shelter. What what is God going to do? Look at verse 16. Behold. I am the one who is laid as a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. And we know from New Testament writers, this precious stone is Jesus Christ himself, that he is the one that's the foundation of the church, that we can put our whole trust and lives in. We can rest our whole weight on our Savior And he will deliver us. He will be the foundation. And those who trust, look at the end of verse 16. Whoever believes will not be in haste. Now, that might be a little yawner for you. Not be in haste. What's the big deal? I mean, I live my life. I'm hurried everywhere I go. And somehow I'm still late. We got a deep dive on this concept Whoever believes in me will not be in haste. What happens when you're in a hurry? You're frantic, you're frenetic, you're anxious, you're worried. If you're in a hurry, you are not peaceful. You're not peaceful. And remember last week's sermon, Isaiah 26, verse 3. Beautiful verse in Isaiah 26, verse 3. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. When we trust 
in this Savior, this cornerstone. Whoever believes in me will not be in haste. You will have peace. You will have assurance. In this world that has so much that we can worry and be anxious and concerned about, for those who believe in this precious cornerstone, the foundation that God has laid in Christ, we will not be in haste. We won't be frantic, frenetic, and as we trust in him. So what are believers going to do? Trust in this cornerstone, trust in Christ. That's in verse 17 or 16. And then verse 17, we trust in God's judgment, God's judgment and justice. Look at verse 17, and I will make justice the line, righteousness the plumb line. So here we see that God establishes his own standard, a much better standard than our standard of justice. So we trust in the Savior. We trust in God's justice. We also trust in his power. This is in verse 18. Remember that covenant they made with death? Verse, second half of verse 17, hail is going to sweep it away. Waters will overwhelm it. This is a demonstration of God's power. It's also a demonstration of his mercy. When we trust in other things besides God, God will sometimes put us in difficult circumstances that we might trust in him alone. God takes down, therefore, what they're trusting in. The covenant with death, verse 18. The agreement with Sheol. When the overwhelming scourge passes through, that's a picture of Assyria coming through. God is assuring them, you're not going to escape. You will be beaten down by it. And they may still think arrogantly, pridefully like us. Uh, we're the exception. God, this doesn't really go for us. And God demonstrates again his power. Look at verse 19. As often as it passes through, it will take you. Morning by morning. By day, by night, it will be sheer terror to understand the message. Verse 19 there is God saying, I'm open 24-7. And he is assuring them by his power that he can outlast their sin. And that's good news for sinners like us. Not only can he outlast their sin, but he will be there with justice and judgment to punish them as he has said, in the only escape, go back to verse 16, whoever believes in me will not be in haste. That is the only escape. And so we see, what do we believe? Well, we believe in this sure foundation, the cornerstone, verse 16, God's justice, verse 17, his power to overwhelm whatever else we would trust in, and then verse 19, we see that God can outlast sinners. He is more powerful. He prevails. He perseveres past them, and he is more powerful. And if we still refuse, what's it going to be like? Verse 20, it's going to be uncomfortable, isn't it? It's going to be futile. The bed is too short. The covering too narrow. We have this... Uh, macrame, do you know what that is? Kind of knitting with openings in it, like a blanket that's macrame. Yeah, it doesn't keep you warm. Whenever I, sometimes I grab that one, it's like, oh, why'd I pick this? 
It doesn't keep me warm. Have you been in a bed that's too short? Do you have a blanket at home? You try to stay warm and your feet are sticking out? That's what it's going to be like. You're not going to win. You won't win against God. He can outlast you. And he outlasts us because of his love and his mercy. And so it's an invitation to give up our futile ways, to return to him, and to trust in him. And finally, we can trust in his victory. This is in verse 21. Now, two episodes are mentioned here from Israel's history. So Isaiah's mentioning two episodes of God fighting on behalf of his people. The first one's there, Mount Perizim, and that's in 2 Samuel 5. And these are both instances of God's direct intervention And uh, the other one, Valley of Gibeon, that's when God stops the sun. So Israel's route can be complete uh, with Joshua, the Valley of Gibeon. And that is in Joshua 10. And then God throws stones down on the Ammonites to fully defeat them and rout them. So it's a, a picture of complete and total victory that God can provide and it is uh look at the end of verse 21 strange is his deed alien is his work it's because it doesn't come from us it's not our human ingenuity and faculties it's totally different from this transcendent all-powerful sovereign god working his will in justice one of so the call for us as believers is to wholly lean on and trust in this God who sent a Savior for us, verse 16, who works justice, verse 17, is powerful enough to overcome all his and our enemies, verse 18, 19, who mercifully demonstrates to us the futility of sinful ways, verse 20, and he who gives the final victory in verse 21. One of my sons works at a camp, Camp Eagle, and it's an adventure camp. And one of the things that he does is he hooks people into a 3,000-foot zip line. It starts on a tower 80 feet high. I've ridden it before. And I can tell you, it doesn't matter what your life experience is, when you stand on the edge of that tower and you're about to go, and you look down this cable... That's more than a half mile long. It's a long way. You start getting second thoughts. Is this safe? Can this thing really hold me? And so they want to encourage children. And so naturally, when children get up to do the zip line, they're nervous and fearful about it. And he told me he kind of has a routine. He tells Kids, see this little carabiner that I'm hooking you in with? This thing can hold 5,000 pounds. That harness you're wearing, that holds 7,500 pounds. And this cable holds however many pounds. We could give an elephant a ride down this zip line if we wanted to. It's not going to break. It can hold you. You can trust it. You can trust this equipment. And of course, sometimes that's enough to convince kids to go. Sometimes it isn't. And if it isn't, he, he goes to the next one. He said, we just, we just wrote on this. Because somebody from his team 
They ride on it every day in the morning just to check it, to make sure everything is okay. Likewise, we have a Savior who has gone before us. Likewise, God can hold us. We can trust Him even for the most difficult aspects of our life. He can hold our weight. He is trustworthy. And so we can wholly trust and lean on God. He holds us. And He can deliver us. And that's what you see here in this middle part as believers are called to believe. You know, we're not called to compromise doctrine, to change Christianity, to change what the church has believed for all time. We're not called to that. We're called to double down, to ride that zip line. I mean, what an adventurous life the Christian life is. And we're called to trust in the one who can hold our entire weight, in the weight of our worries and anxieties. And this passage ends as we're thinking about, are we tuning in? You still tuned in? I'm coming to a close here. You still tuned in? Tuning in, tuning out. The last part of the passage, it's a little rough, isn't it? 23 through 29. And what we're told here is really that listeners are going to live, that those who tune in are the ones who live. They're the opposite of the scoffers. And the way this comes out is we get a direct command, verse 22, now therefore do not scoff, don't ignore what God has said, don't be apathetic to it, tune in because of his power as we've shown how it's demonstrated. Therefore, do not scoff. What's going to happen if you scoff? Well, the bonds will just be made stronger. See, God can outlast you. And then verse 23, give ear, hear my voice, give attention, hear my speech. So tune in to what is about to be said. And then you get two examples from agriculture. This is verse, verses uh, 24 and 25, one example. And then verses 27 and 28. Now, you got to tune in here. Most of us, about as agricultural as it gets, is a raised bed garden. We have never made food, and if we blow it, we starve. So there's a lot riding on agriculture back in the day. And what God is doing here, he's saying, look, the so-called lowly farmer knows what he's doing. The so-called lowly farmer doesn't just, verse 24, continually plow. At some point, he stops plowing and he plants seeds. And God is saying here, look, if the lowly farmer gets and understands farming, does the God of the universe, the creator and redeemer, not understand what he's doing? not understand providentially how he is guiding and leading us. Verse 26, for he is rightly instructed, his God teaches him. And then another, another episode from agriculture about dill being threshed with a threshing sledge. That's hard to say fast. But the idea here is you use the right tool to bring about the harvest. You don't Verse 28, continually crush grain under a wheel. You, you crush it, you grind it, and then you're done. 
You don't keep going over it and over it again. And again, God is communicating. He has this. He knows what he's doing. And we see that in verse 29. This also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel. So that's an echo of Isaiah 9, 2, where Jesus is called the wonderful counselor. So wonderful is such that you stand back and you are in awe at the marvel in the supernatural power of God. Counsel there is not uh, maybe like we think counsel. Counsel is the plan of God, and it has in view his redemptive plan, both on a macro level and the micro level, our own individual life. And then he is excellent in wisdom. God knows what he's doing. You know, when you take your car to get repaired, because everybody's repairing cars these days, forget about buying a new one. And you go get your car repaired, what do they tell you? Do they want you in the engine, uh, in the, in the uh, uh, mechanic's bay? Do they want you out there advising the mechanic? You know, hey, I, I really think you ought to do this. You know, last time I took my car in, I mean, I told him exactly what was wrong. I told him exactly, this is what's wrong. They still charged me the diagnostic fee. <laughs> I told you what was wrong. They don't want the expert's opinion, evidently. And they certainly don't want you out there looking over the mechanic's shoulder, telling him what to do. Oh, we love to do that in Bernie, Texas, don't we? I'm the expert. I watched a YouTube video. And what this passage is communicating is you don't need to look over God's shoulder, so to speak, and instruct him and tell him how to run the universe or how to run your life. He's the expert. He has this. Just like a farmer knows how to farm, God knows how to God. And he doesn't need our help figuring it out. Instead, it's an opportunity for us to submit to him, to listen to him, to explore those areas of our life, maybe where we're not listening or maybe where we've compromised or maybe where we're apathetic and indifferent to the things of God, and to come back zealously to him, understanding that if we trust in him, we will have peace in our lives. And not only will we have peace in our life, but we will see the power of God at work and the victory of God talked about there in verse 21. And that we should tune in to what God has to say to us and we will see that this wonderful plan of God that is working out both in the universe and in our individual life will be praiseworthy of our God because he is excellent in wisdom. So that's our calling. Tune in to what God has to say. Don't, don't only tune in to the depressing things that we worry or anxious about. Instead, tune in to what God is doing and what he has said. Let's pray together. Lord, how we ask that you would help us to tune in to all that you have said and done on our behalf. Lord, we thank you that you show mercy to sinners. But for those who resist you, you show a severe mercy, a hard mercy. You judge, you challenge, 
and you call out. And so, Lord, help us to hear whatever message you have for us, that we together as your people might give you glory and might experience what it's like to have peace as we trust in your wonderful counsel and excellent wisdom. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.